0: Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the podcast series, Healthy Dose. As you all know, the global rollout of vaccines against COVID-19 is in full steam. Yes, there have been some hiccups along the way, and there will continue to be. But largely speaking, there are reasons why one could think of the global rollout of vaccines as a beacon of hope regarding the humanity's capacity to come together to face a collective challenge vaccines have definitely been the ray of hope at the end of the dark tunnel, but can they possibly also be a vehicle of change? I'm Yogi Niko, your host for this episode, where we talk to Dr. Arindam Nandi on financing of vaccine programs and how vaccines benefit us more than we know. Dr. Nandi is a fellow at the Center for Disease Dynamics, Economics and Policy and has extensively studied vaccination programs in India. We will talk to him about innovative financing mechanisms that have been used in the COVID-19 pandemic, their past precedents, and how they will translate into the future. Without any further delay, let us just get into it.
1: My name is um, Dr. Arindam Nandi. I'm a senior fellow at the Center for Disease Dynamics, Economics and Policy, based in Washington, DC. In terms of background, I'm a health economist uh, doing primarily research on uh, economic evaluation of health interventions in low- and middle-income countries. Uh, And a bulk of my work is actually in India. Um, I have done research on you know, several uh, uh, health interventions and policies and uh, what kind of impact they might have on, you know, the health of the population and um, economic outcomes as well, starting from child vaccination, neonatal care, water and sanitation, and so on. Um, I do quite a bit of research on uh, the economics of vaccines. I've done, you know, work in India on vaccine financing, how uh, you know, the Indian government uh, does financing mechanisms mechanisms for childhood vaccines, as well as the broader benefits of vaccines. You know, what are the benefits beyond prevention of disease and uh, prevention of deaths?
0: That is very interesting, uh, Dr. Nandi. At least for me, my earlier memories of, say, getting vaccinated or getting like going through immunization program have to do with polio. But uh, till the time we were recording this podcast, I had never thought about how this whole uh, machinery rolls. How do so many children get this drop every year? And now I suppose also a follow-up dose. So I was just wanting to start our discussion there that how do immunization programs such as polio or other mass immunization programs work in terms of their economics and in terms of their Financing? Who finances them? What is the money behind it?
1: Okay, so India's uh, national program, uh, known as the Universal Immunization Program, it is one of the largest programs in the world, and you know one of the uh, fascinating ones. Um, so every year, about 26 million newborn children are born in India, and the target is to vaccinate them with a series of different types of vaccines. So that you know, by the time they reach uh, the age of two years, they are vaccinated against you know most diseases, starting from semi measles, BCG, uh, you know diphtheria, diphtheria pertussis, tetanus, which is DPT, and now we have even uh, a lot of new vaccines. You know, hepatitis B, rotavirus, the pneumococcal vaccine is being introduced and rolled up, uh, the Japanese encephalitis vaccine. So. It's a it's a gigantic program, um, you know, which is run uh, across uh, all of India and we have seen, um, you know, alongside the main program, which has been running since the 1980s, starting in 1985, alongside the main program, which tries to vaccinate children with all of these doses. There are supplementary programs and polio is a really great example. Pulse polio was a supplementary immunization program which is on top of the main program uh, because polio is such a debilitating disease and can have such a, you know, lasting impact uh, throughout the life on children. Um, special attention was paid to polio and a separate polio program has been running really successfully.
0: There is a lot to unpack here. So, I'm just going to highlight what Dr. Nandi spoke about. Mentioning universal immunization program as the backbone of immunization in India, he mentioned that it is an ever-growing large program with constant addition of newer vaccines against newer diseases. Additionally, there are supplemental programs for diseases such as polio, Let us listen to Dr. Nandi speak about the financing models behind these programs.
1: Now, obviously, in terms of financing, there are um, two separate models. One is for the UIP, the Universal Immunisation Program, which is the main program that gets uh, funding of about um, 12,000 crores every year. Um, And, you know, the government has been doing it quite systematically in partnership with organizations such as the UNICEF, where... Um, um, you know, there every five years, a white paper called the CMIP, which is known as the Comprehensive Multi-Year Plan, is formulated, which will project, you know, that the amount of money that will be needed over the next five years, every year. Now, in terms of who uh, who provides that money, um, India is very heavily self-sufficient. So, uh, during the last CMIP, which was 2013 to 2015, uh, those numbers are available to us. Uh, the Indian government paid about 93% of this, you know, 12,000 crore or so amount of money that is needed to vaccinate uh, her children. Um, the rest of the 7% was provided by a multilateral donor agency, such as, you know, the Gavi is one uh, big, uh, funding support for India for the remaining amount. Uh, so that seven percent in 2013 to 2015 was funded by GAVI. Now GAVI support is being phased out, uh, and in this in 2022 budget, uh, the estimated expenditure for the program is 12,000 crores, 12,364 uh, crores to be exact. And off that, India will fund 97 percent of the amount, and Other partners, you know, the UNICEF, Gavi, uh, the World Health Organization, together will fund about 339 crores.
0: It's very interesting that you mentioned Gavi. Actually, that's what our next question was going to be about. Because Gavi has come into a global limelight of sorts, even for people who don't generally know so much about vaccinations. So what is Gavi? Like, what is the concept behind Gavi?
1: So Gavi is a multilateral uh, agency which is supported by uh, international governments around the world. So think of, you know, going back in time, if you could think of World Bank uh, as an entity, um, it, it was started with the idea that countries will pull their money together. And then from that money, there could be grants given to, you know, deserving countries, low, low income and low and middle income countries. Sometimes there could be loans that uh, could be given to some of these countries so it's a similar model uh, where uh, but you know it's obviously uh, much more improved than the world bank model of just putting money together and then you know lending out or giving grants to countries gavi is an organization which does that funding mechanism as well as it's an organization which has done a lot of research into uh, vaccine development you know, vaccine financing mechanisms for countries and vaccine distribution mechanism for for countries as well. So um, Gavi has been supporting in a low and middle income countries, they call uh, them Gavi eligible countries, which are, you know, provided with technical support for vaccine rollout and also funding mechanisms. Sometimes, uh, you know, just money given as grants in support of their Uh, national vaccination program, as well as for introduction and rollout of particular vaccines. And then also, it's a consortium which can make, you know, deals with vaccine manufacturers and it sort of acts as a clearinghouse where, you know, a national government can come to Gavi and Gavi can help uh, facilitate a deal with a vaccine manufacturer at a subsidized price. Uh, you know, which is much lower than what the manufacturer would charge in the private private market. Because such high volumes of, vac- of vaccines are being bought at on one go, Gavi can fac- facilitate that kind of deals as well.
0: Gavi has also been crucial in global rollout of COVID vaccination. How has that facility worked? Because it's worked with COVAX and it's worked with WHO. So how does the economics of that function?
1: So, you know, the idea of, the, um, of trying to uh, come out of a global pandemic um, is that every country has to vaccinate its entire population or, you know, up, up until uh, a sort of a hard immunity is, is reached. To come out of this global pandemic and, you know, to leave all of this behind us we have to vaccinate um as many people as we can across the globe and that's the you know the sort of the founding principle of of the gavi many countries have made bilateral deals with with uh you know manufacturers for us for example has already made deals for you know millions 200 300 millions of doses of the Pfizer vaccines or the Moderna vaccine to vaccine to vaccinate the population uh, within the US. Um, other high-income countries have done something similar with uh, uh, manufacturers as well. But to make sure that we can vaccinate equitably across the globe so that you know all of us can come out of this pandemic uh, and you know uh, have good health again and have economic growth again. Gavi created this consortium called COVAX which is uh, you know it's a partnership of national governments, scientists, policy experts, the private sector, uh, multilateral policy agencies such as the WHO and donor agencies as well such as the Gates Foundation. All hands are uh, on the deck.
0: Dr. Nandi explained to us how different stakeholders have marched together to find COVAX. Essentially COVAX is a facility where stakeholders have pooled in money that has helped them towards the creation of an effective vaccine. Now the question to ask is, how do these countries claim their stakes? Can only those players who have paid receive vaccines through the facility?
1: And the idea is to create three types of financing mechanism for vaccines, for the COVID vaccine one is um so there are three types of country participation one is you know some countries they are giving firm commitment that you know we can fully fund our vaccine purchase and we com- we commit that we will buy you know xyz number of doses so that is one number one which is self-funded firm commitment from countries second is self-funded purchase option Um, uh, you know so Covax. Uh, started primarily with the Oxford uh, Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which is being uh, manufactured heavily by the Serum Institute of India. Um, but there are other vaccines which are coming in the market as well. So some countries are um, they have this option of you know saying it's like a, in the share market, it's an option that you are p- purchasing, just like the share market. You are saying I want the option of buying 100 million doses you know, over such and such time period, but um, it is not a firm commitment. So I can, I have the option to back out with a small penalty, you know, so the the amount of money that I'm going to give you the per dose price that I'm going to get from the COVAX facility, that has a small amount of money built into it, which is to cover the manufacturer in in cases where you want to take a step back and say no, I don't want 100 million doses, but I want a smaller number of doses, so that risk insurance is built into the price for these type of countries who are purchasing the option for for getting. And then finally, the Covax AMC. Um, the AMC is a is a mechanism where um, you know they're trying to provided at a high, the vaccines at a highly subsidized price for low and middle income countries. So these are the sort of the original Gavi eligible countries who are expected that, you know, they wouldn't be able to fully self-fund their their entire purchase. So the idea is to either, you know, try and give them uh, these doses for free, uh, depending upon how much uh, fundraising the AMC facility can do. And if not, um, and Gavi has maintained, you know, in general that um, these uh, AMC countries will actually have to pay uh, uh, a small amount and share the cost up to, you know, $1.6 to $2 per dose, uh, which would be lower than fully self-funded countries and countries who are purchasing the option of of buying from, from the COVAX. So these are the three different mechanisms, you know, to ensure that, there's equitable distribution of vaccines across the globe. And then the idea is that all countries um, right at the beginning should be able to vaccinate at least 20% of their population across the board, across all countries before additional doses are given to countries who have booked more doses, but at least, Right at the beginning, all countries should be able to vaccinate 20% of their citizens using the vaccine doses that are coming from the COVAX facility.
0: Dr. Nanti, just explain to us how funding mechanisms under GAVI COVAX have been designed to vaccinate 20% of the population horizontally throughout the world to break the global chain of infection it is necessary that all of us have the weapons to fight it. Only then can we be successful in our fight against COVID-19. While the pandemic disrupted our way of life and broke economies, it also brought with it scientific advances in a speed considered impossible before and innovative economic and financial mechanisms. Has this happened in the past? and what are its impacts for the future? We will explore this in the next few questions. I believe that this coming together of hands on the deck of so many participants has happened. Has this happened at some other time in history? Uh, Not in the same exact form perhaps, but is this the first time that such a global rollout has happened or could you cite some examples from the past?
1: so not at this scale obviously uh, this is unprecedented you know that uh, that all countries of the world will need so many doses you know we're trying to vaccinate maybe 7 billion of this planet's people uh, at some point eventually because you know right now the vaccines are not authorized for use among children so you don't you don't have the pediatric population getting the vaccine right right at this time but this is really unprecedented but this builds upon Uh, you know, the history and experience that Gavi has had because Gavi has been working for a long time. And, you know, people, as you mentioned, that we don't normally hear about Gavi as as such uh, because, you know, we don't really pay so much attention to all these other vaccines that are being given to children. You know, polio draws a lot of attention because uh, it's a separate program, uh, you know, which is heavily advertised. You know, Amitabh Bachchan comes on TV and so on. Gavi has been working with uh, national governments and other agencies over a long time.
0: Do you think something like this could also, like because this has happened at scale, could this be helpful in safe fighting diseases that we haven't found a vaccination for yet? Perhaps this is a hypothetical question, but just wanted to know your views on that.
1: Uh, Yeah, certainly. I mean, there are, uh, I don't don't believe that it could get as big as this, because this, you know, really happened because of the pandemic. But there are other agencies, um, um, you know, there are always research groups and multilateral uh, agency groups who, uh, uh, you know, for example, to give you a good example, one emerging area that we will have In the next twenty to thirty years is, uh, uh, for example, Alzheimer's and you know other uh, related dementias. Because once you take care of problems um, such as you know cardiovascular diseases and eventually maybe HIV and cancer, if we find cures for those, then eventually the the main challenge, the challenge. 20, 30 years down the line would be, you know, people would be aging a lot and in low and middle-income countries, life expectancy is going to only go up and you will have, you know, more people living into their 70s and 80s than ever before, right? So that's an emerging challenge where, uh, you know, people have started thinking about it in high-income countries where there are research groups and, you know, uh, uh, industry and interagency groups who are... Talking about investing a lot uh, into the research for Alzheimer's and related dementias because that's one area where you know the progress or scientific break- breakthrough has been really slow. Uh, there is only one, I believe, Alzheimer's drug which came really close to being approved. Um, I don't remember exactly whether it finally got approved or not uh, during the last decade or so. Um, So then, you know, there's a whole lot of talk about there was a consortium, there's a meeting in Davos uh, a few weeks ago, which was called the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative, where, you know, all these interagency groups came. You know, a lot of people who work in the industry uh, are trying to develop medicines for Alzheimer's and so on. They're trying to form this partnership looking, you know, 30 years into the future when we get to the point where. Even in low and middle income countries, people are living into their 17s and 80s, then Alzheimer's will become a huge problem. And they are trying to solve it, um, you know, starting from now. So there are other examples. Um, Alzheimer's is one example. I know I'm I'm sure there are examples. I know about Alzheimer's. That's that's why it's easy for me to talk about it. But I'm sure for other diseases, there are consortiums or groups who are Uh, thinking at a very large scale, you know, how to get together the private sector, the policy uh, sector, the national governments, and so on.
0: You've been a scholar working in early childhood interventions. And I was wondering that, like, generally we've read about immunization programs being affected by COVID. So how great do you think is the loss if there is any in terms of uh, loss, uh, you know, stopping of immunization programs and uh, what could be its long-term impacts?
1: Yes, certainly, um, that's actually quite important. So there have been two types of impact. One is the cost of delivering vaccines have gone up. So that's one. Um, it is harder and more expensive to vaccinate children with the other vaccines um, just because COVID has has affected everything in terms of supply chain, uh, health facilities being overloaded with COVID patients and uh, lockdowns, local lockdowns, national lockdowns and so on. And then um, also uh, another side is obviously fewer children are being vaccinated. The vaccination rates have uh, seen a dip uh, and nobody knows how long. Uh, the dip will remain and, you know, what is the ex- extent of that dip. Um, we're still waiting for data on on some of these indicators. And obviously that is going to have a long-term impact. Uh, you know, for example, if you take the, the case of the measles vaccine, you know, measles is a disease which uh, 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 is just doesn't affect children uh, by itself, but it can also have a longer term impact on suppressing the immune system. So uh, there have been some recent studies which have shown that once you have an episode of measles, um, as a child, you are going to be more susceptible to other infections for up to two to three years following that episode of measles measles, because it just uh, wreaks havoc on your innate uh, immune memory. and it makes you vulnerable to other infections. So if measles vaccination rates go down, then you're looking at a cohort of children who are going to have you know, other additional diseases within the next two, three years. And some of these diseases can have long-term impact over their life cycle in terms of you know, reduced cognition, uh, reduced schooling outcomes, uh, schooling grade attainment, and reduced economic productivity. So we don't know the full extent of uh, those long term effects yet but i'm hoping you know within the next few years once we have those estimates of you know how many children's missed vaccinations because of the pandemic then we'll, we'll be able to uh, 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 do those estimates
0: the coronavirus pandemic has forced us to think about the world as an interconnected whole will vaccination may have paved the way for global cooperation against Alzheimer's. Such occurrences further bring these interconnections in a sharper relief. This leads us to our last question. What could the long-term impacts of global vaccination rollout against the pandemic be? So you studied the impact of vaccine on uh, impact of early childhood vaccinations or impact of influenza vaccines on amr i suppose antimicrobial resistance so uh in that sense if and i know this is like far into the future uh these studies must not have happened yet but what do you think could be the long-term impacts of, of having a vaccine against a global pandemic, at least what will you seek to study in the future if you have to make any long-term analysis of the impact of the vaccine?
1: Um, Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm an economist, but uh, from my limited knowledge, what I've read, that there is a possibility that this could, uh, this might become a seasonal vaccine, uh, because, you know, if there are new variants of covid Think about. You know, let's think about two, three years down the line when you know enough of the global population has been vaccinated against the main, or the the first variant of COVID. If there are other variants of COVID um, which you know pop up here and there, this could be um, sort of like the annual influenza vaccine, which is uh, given in many countries. Um, which will be like a booster shot uh, you know for the new variant if it comes you might have an annual vaccine against the covid strain which is uh, relevant for that year so if that's the case then um, it, 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 this can have a really potentially long term impact on on several different different aspects of life as you were mentioning you know we have done some work on influenza vaccines and their potential impact on antimicrobial resistance, how influenza type illnesses are treated heavily uh, with antibiotics in many countries where you go and you say that, you know, I have a fever and a cough, turns out it's a viral infection from an influenza strain, but sometimes doctors will prescribe you with an antibiotic. Or you can go to a pharmacy uh, in countries like India where it's not, heavily regulated as in other high-income countries or other countries where you might be able to get an antibiotic dose from a pharmacy. So that contributes to um, antimicrobial resistance uh, uh, among pathogens, right? A lot of people who experience COVID have have long-term symptoms of, you know, shortness of breath or coughing and so on, uh, body ache and so on. So, having a COVID vaccine can have really potentially a life-changing impact if you are susceptible to long COVID, um, especially for for those people. So, that's one. And then also, um, if this becomes uh, sort of like an influenza type of infection, it might um, have an impact, sort of like a secondary impact uh, on children, where, you know, children, they get sick and they miss school days that might have some impact on their cognitive outcomes and you know, schooling outcomes. So it could reduce the number of schooling days lost or schooling days missed if um, the children are vaccinated, um, you know, in the near future, say within the next two, three years or so. So these are some potential impacts we might see from, from COVID vaccination. Uh, and you know, in the absence of the vaccination, other mitigation strategies involve lockdown um, as a primary strategy, social distancing, and you know, reduced uh, capacity in businesses. All of which will have far-reaching, long-term impacts on economic growth. So, if we can prevent that, you know, they, say the ideal scenario two, three years down the line is you don't need to do social distancing as much, you don't need to do capacity control in businesses. You can have restaurants open, you can have schools open, no more lockdowns and so on. That would be fantastic, right?
0: With that note of hope, discussing the long-term impact of the COVID-19 vaccination and what it means for our future, we come to the end of this episode. We spoke to Dr. Nandi about a great many things about the potential of vaccine and the potential that innovations from these very dark times carry into the future. As they say, every cloud has a silver lining. The pandemic has caused us to deeply reflect on the epochal impact that scientific and economic advances have on our lives. Vaccines, it seems, can be true vehicles of light and hope. In the context of a global pandemic, How is India distributing this vehicle of light and hope to millions of its people? Thank you for tuning in to the third episode. In the next episode, my co-host Shreya Srivastava will be speaking to Dr. R.S. Sharma about how India is leveraging technology to deliver vaccines to its millions. Do tune in. You can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify as Vidi Center for Legal Policies podcast. We are also available on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to grab your healthy dose next Tuesday.